going to talk about a story that she grew up in church. You'd have heard from the time you were a little child about a man that climbed a sycamore tree. Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> going to read the first ten verses. It says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was of little stature. He ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste, and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste, and came down, and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, He was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, forasmuch as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The title of the message this morning, Can Such a Sinner Be Saved? Can Such a Sinner Be Saved? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to meet together. Thank you for the Word of God, quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to pierce our hearts and convince and convict us of our sin and of our need of a Savior, even the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners. So Lord, I pray that you speak to hearts today. I pray that if there's any in our midst today who have never repented of their sin, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who alone can save from sin, that the Spirit of God would convince and convict them today of their need, and they would repent. Encourage our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. You know, in our world, sometimes we sometimes say certain things are impossible. Or we might say, well, that'll never happen. You know, there are things like that happen in the Bible, too. Uh, for example, in Luke chapter 1, verses 18 and 20, the Bible says, And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and attempt to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Here's Zacharias saying, how can that happen? I'm an old man. That'll never happen. That's kind of an example, I would say, of 2 Timothy 2.13, where the Bible says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Whether you believe or not, God's going to keep his word. There are many others examples. For example, Mary said, How can this be, seeing I know not a man? That's a legitimate question. And of course, the angel said, there's nothing impossible with God. In John chapter 4 and verse 27, the disciples come to Jesus 
when he's speaking to the Samaritan woman, and they marveled, it says, that he talked with the woman. I mean, he's talking to the Samaritan woman. This woman of ill repute. This immoral woman. And she's a Samaritan, and he's talking to her. What they're really saying is, they didn't think she was a candidate for salvation. Luke 18, 24 to 26. <clears throat> says, and when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, how hardly that they should have riches enter into the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, how, who then can be saved? Well, it's interesting, in chapter 19, you have a rich man get saved. You see, what they're really saying here in, in verse 7 is, it says, and when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And what they're really saying is, this man is a great sinner, a too great a sinner to be saved. He doesn't fit the likely to be saved mold. But who does? Who does? Rahab the harlot? Or how about Saul? How about finishing his name? Saul the blasphemer, the persecutor of the church? And yet Saul got saved. So who does fit the mold? You know, Saul was a Jesus hater. See, the only sinner God cannot save is one who will not submit to him. The only person God cannot help is one who will not follow him. Sinners are sinners in any society, race, class, etc. It makes no difference. They all need the everlasting gospel and they must submit to the authority of the gospel to be saved. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Verses 7 through 8, the Bible says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, sinners simply must submit to the authority of the gospel to be saved. But salvation requires and I think this is a good example of this in our passage, the simplicity of childlike faith. Now, what's it mean to be simple? Well, the word simple means unaffected, unassuming, modest, you know, having a modest opinion of yourself, it's kind of humility, not complex or compound, single, something Simple or uncompounded, a person of humble origins. That's, that's Webster or uh, uh, dictionary.com definition. And I was, and I was thinking about that. I, I, we saw a good example of simplicity th this last week. We were over Taiwan with Francis, and one evening we were out walking down the street, and Timothy's walking beside me. 
not a care in the world. And he said, let's, and we, I think it was Sunday, after the morning, after the service, and we sang It Is Well that morning. He said, let's sing It Is Well. So him and I, were walking down the street, we start singing It Is Well. And we get through the first verse, and he goes, the second verse. Now, I had to stop and think for a minute what the second verse was, and I think I sang the third verse, actually. And he said, how about the third verse? You know, he wanted to continue. Walking down the street, people going by us, and we're just singing, it is well with my soul. Not a care in the world. You see, his life isn't compounded. He doesn't care what people think. He'd care less. I didn't care either. <laughs> I already looked different. I'm the only one I ever saw whatever the cowboy had on. Uh, <clears throat> I, I told Brother Francis that's why people took more tracks from me than from him. He needs a good cowboy hat. But anyway, you know, he, he is simple. Children are simple. Now, I want you to notice some characteristics or some requirements as we think about the simplicity of childlike faith. First of all, the humility of a child. Notice verse 4, it says, And he ran before and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. Now, adults don't climb trees. This is, and this is the chief tax collector who everybody knows. He has a government position, and he's not just working for the city of Raleigh. He's working for Rome, and he climbs a tree. Can you imagine the people walking by? Oh, here's that tax collector. Oh, here's that tax collector under the tree. You see, he was willing to be laughed at so that he could see Jesus. McLaren said this, quote, I wish there were more of us who do not mind being laughed at if only what we did helped us to see Jesus, unquote. You know, in Matthew 18, 3 and 4, it says in and Jesus, of course, here speaking, said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted, become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Of course, the word humble means to lower or to depress one's soul, to bring down one's pride, to have a modest opinion of oneself, to behave in an unassuming manner devoid of all haughtiness. So here's the tax collector willing to humiliate himself and climb a tree so that he could see Jesus as he passed by. And so salvation requires a humility of a child. But it also requires, and this is again part of the definition of, of simple, a singularity. Now notice in verse 8. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. He said, Behold, Lord. Not lords, Lord. It's singular. 
He now has a single master or a single Lord. If you're going to come to Christ, you have to be single about this thing. There is only one Lord. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is what Judaism was powerless to affect in his life. You know, he probably was... He probably was taken to the synagogue. He was a Jew. He was probably taken to the synagogue as a child and probably taken to the temple and trained and all that, but he it didn't do anything for him. In fact, he, he turned away from it and became a tax collector. That was considered being a traitor to your own people. So he called him Lord. One of those two things about this. First of all, he called Jesus by his proper designation, that is, Lord. The word Lord here means to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding. Uh, so it means Lord or Master. So, so he is recognizing that now he belongs to, and everything that he has belongs to the Lord. Something interesting that I come across just yesterday. Go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Now, I didn't read through all the New Testament to prove this. But I have a theory. That when the disciples addressed Jesus first person, you know what they always called him? Called him, referred to him as Lord. They never called him Jesus. When they wrote about him, they would use maybe his name Jesus or Jesus Christ. But, but when they were speaking to him directly, they always called him Lord. John 6, verse 68 says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Chapter 8, verse 11. Here's the woman that was caught in the doctrine, and she said, She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Chapter 9, verse 36. The blind man that was healed. Verse 36, he says, And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Chapter 11. <clears throat> verse 3 therefore his sister sent unto him saying Lord behold he whom thou lovest is sick verse 12 then said his disciples Lord if he is asleep he shall do well verse 21 then said Martha unto Jesus Lord if thou hast been here my brother had not died verse 27 she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Verse 32, Then Mary was come where Jesus was, and saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Verse 34, And said, Where have you laid him? They say, said unto him, Lord, come and see. Again, verse 39, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he's been dead four days. 
And, and it goes on and on and on. And every reference that I looked at, it says they addressed him as Lord. Chapter 14, verse 5. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? Philip said unto him, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father. In Acts chapter 9, when Saul was struck down on the road to Damascus, he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And then he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the what? Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, we're not instructed anywhere in the Bible to ask Jesus into our heart. It's not there. But most soul winners of Independent Baptist Church talk about receiving Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't really say that. And many times, Lord, the, the title, Lord, is omitted. And I fear that many times those converted live like it too. No, we are commanded, in fact, we are commanded to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 16, verse 31 32, Paul told the Philippian jailer to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, he called him by his proper designation, the Lord. The one to whom he belongs, his master. But not only did he give him his proper designation, he gave evidence of a new master. Notice, Again in verse 8. <clears throat> verse 8 it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. So he, here he gives evidence of a new master or of, a, of, a, of the Lord. And he, he does two things. First of all, he becomes a giver. Here's a man that's used to taking. He's the chief publican. Chief among the publicans. And the way the publicans operated was they bought their office from the Roman government. So the highest bidder would get the right to be the tax collector. And then, to earn all that back, they would charge taxes, and the Roman government allowed them to add to the taxes. They could charge whatever they wanted, basically. Whether it was right or not didn't matter. It was legal, according to the Romans. That's why they were hated so by the Jews. Because they'd pay the taxes and get rich thereby. But so here, here you have this one who now becomes a giver. He becomes a giver. 
Uh, Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. You know, how do we demonstrate, how do we demonstrate our love for the Lord? Is it not by our giving? Go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. <clears throat> First John chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 16 and 17 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? You know, in the, in, in the church at Jerusalem, in, the, in the, the, the early part of the church there, you know, there was those who had great need. There was a, there was a famine and a dearth in the land, and, and none of that, many of those people, when they got saved and were baptized, lost. They would lose their inheritance. Parents would disown their children. Now, so many of them were kind of left destitute, and those who had, like Barnabas, would bring of their abundance and just give it to the apostles so that they distribute it to those who had need. See, what were they doing? They were showing their love for the brethren. Demonstrating it. That's what the Lord's saying here. Chapter 4, verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12 says, No man hath seen God in any time, and if we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Verse 20. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So this man, now who was before just patting his own pockets, now becomes a giver. You know, the, the greatest way you can help your fellow man is by giving to a New Testament church and its missions program. Social programs, welfare, will not meet the greatest need man has. And that's the salvation of their souls. I mean, we can, we can feed them and we can do all that, but they can still die and go to hell. So he gave evidence. He became a giver. Secondly, he made restitution. Notice verse 8. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods that I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Now that was the command of the law. If you've taken something, you are to restore fourfold. This is, this is evidence of true repentance in the life of Zacchaeus. He was willing to restore what he had taken by overcharging taxes. And, and like I said, it was legal for him to do it. But he knew it was not right. You know, there may be things that are legal, but just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. You know, we need to ask ourselves, is it right in the sight of God? The question is not whether it's legal or not. Abortion's legal. It's not right. 
It's not right. So what does this require? You know, this, re this would require, could you imagine being the chief publican and having to admit to people that you robbed them, basically robbed them, and then pay it back? I mean, how, what, how, what would you think about it if somebody in a testimony time confessed that they had robbed this church in tithes and offerings? And said, here's what I've kept back. Which proves the sincerity of their guilt and their repentance. Proves it. So he, was, he gave evidence. He, it wasn't just talk. He gave evidence of a new master. A new Lord. I want you to notice the third thing. Simplicity of a childlike faith requires the acceptance of authority. Notice verses 8 and 9 again. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. So the acceptance of authority. You know, he recognized, of course, he recognized him as Lord. He submitted to the Lord's authority. He submitted to the Lord's authority. Go to, go to Romans chapter 10, verse 1 through 3 for just a minute. Romans 10, 1 through 3. You know, this is important that we submit. The idea of submitting to the Lord's authority. You know, the Jews, the Jews prided themselves in submitting themselves to the law of God. Look at Romans 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, notice, have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. So, again, the Jews pride themselves in the keeping of the law, in the authority of the Old Testament scriptures, and yet they would not submit to themselves to the righteousness of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were like, many of them, you know, they were like the, the rich young ruler. He was a good person. You know, he, Jesus quoted some of the commandments. He said, all these have I kept from my youth up. And from a human standpoint, we would say, he probably did. But there's one he couldn't keep. Or didn't keep, thou shalt not covet. Like many today, good conservative people with some moral standards, maybe even church members, 
but not submitted to the righteousness of God. In other words, they haven't submitted themselves to accepting the fact that they are sinners, guilty sinners, condemned before a holy, righteous God, and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone can save them from sin. They haven't submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. You see, the only place that the only the only place or person that the righteousness of God can be found is in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way. To submit means to obey or subject oneself to. You see, we are commanded to repent and believe the gospel. The word command is found in Acts chapter 17 where Paul told the church, uh, the uh, people at Athens that God commanded all men everywhere to, to repent. The word command means to order or to charge. No, this is not a divine suggestion. It's an order. It's an order from God that must be obeyed. And it's an order that will be enforced at the great white throne judgment. Anybody here in the military? Yes, Brother Smith was. You know what happens if you didn't obey an order in the military? I don't know exactly what happens, but I know it wasn't good. You see, this to submit to the authority of God's word and to accept the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior is an order, it's a command from God. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 1 John 2, 18 and 19, Little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest. They were not all of us. So John was saying there were some who were in the church that left. They went out from us because they were not of us. I wonder if John thought about Judas when he wrote that. Judas left. The Lord's church. I'm sure you've got this said to you, or had this said to you as I have had it said to me. I just don't like organized religion. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wife. Notice this. 
even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I don't like organized religion. You don't like what the Lord loves? See, don't say you love the Lord if you don't love his church. That's a contradiction. It's a contradiction. You know, the church is to be subject to Christ, and the church is people. So, Zacchaeus, we see an acceptance of his authority. We also, or he recognized him as Lord. We also see that there was a, a, the declaration of the Lord. In verse 9, in verse 9, it says, And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. Of course, this is a declaration of the Lord. And faith is accepting the word of the Lord. That's what it is. Romans 10, 9, again. Uh, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So it's accepting the word of the Lord. Verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our salvation rests upon the word of the living God. Look at 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. First John 5, verse 11. And this, this right here, is the record. Talking about the word of God. This is the record. That God hath given us to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know, that ye may know that you have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. See, this is the record. This is how I know. This is the declaration of the Lord himself. And so our salvation rests not upon us. Not on how I live. But have I submitted myself to the word of the living God? Look at also 1 Peter chapter. Yeah, 1 Peter 1, 22. 1 Peter 1. 22, 23. Seeing ye have purified your souls, notice again, in obeying the truth through the Spirit and unfeigned love of the brethren. See, you love one another with pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So we've obeyed the truth, he says. It's in obeying the truth. Taking God at his word. Believing it. John 1.12 says, But as many as received, gave he power. In other words, 
the word of power there has the idea of authority. The authority to become the sons of God. The right. He gives the power. He gives the authority. It's not of us. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. John 6.37 All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You see, we have, we, you know, faith is simply accepting the word of the Lord and resting in that. And our salvation rests upon the word of the living God. And the requirement for salvation is a childlike Humility of a child, the singularity of the child. There's only one. There's only one Lord. You know, in our, in, in our world today, the people believe in many ways to get to God. You know, they say all religions lead to, lead to God. No, all religions don't. There is one God, one God, and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me." Singularity. There's only one Lord, one Christ. And there must, must be the acceptance of the divine authority that God has given us in His Word. So again, we see the only sinner God cannot save is one who will not submit to Him. Have you submitted to him this morning? You're the only person God cannot help is one who will not follow. And this was the whole purpose in Jesus coming to earth was to save your soul. Verse 10 says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, Zacchaeus recognized he had a problem. He was lost. And he needed a Savior. You, know, you can't save somebody who doesn't recognize they have a problem. You can't help somebody that doesn't won't recognize they have a problem. So where are you this morning? Do you know the Lord, the Lord as your Savior? Is He Lord of your life? Have you submitted to Him in childlike faith?